Welcome to the Beef Brunch Educational Series podcast, bringing you information on cattle production and management in Louisiana and surrounding states. Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to our Beef Brunch News Update on Monday, August 17th. My name is Ashley Edwards, and with me today are Vince Desitel, Lee Falk, and Jason Holmes. If you've missed any of our previous updates, we are making these bi-weekly reports being released every other Monday at 10.30 a.m. We also do our best to make sure we include any links we mention in the description below the video or in the podcast description for this episode. I want to start us off this morning by saying thank you to several organizations for advertising our Beef Brunch educational series. Information on our series has been shared through the Daily Voice with the Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation, the Gulf Coast Cattlemen, Louisiana Cattlemen's Association, Cattle Producers of Louisiana, and Louisiana Farm and Ranch. Thank you all so much for your willingness to inform your cattle producers about this series. Lee, I'm going to turn it over to you now to discuss the weather and field status for North Louisiana. I know the armyworms have kind of been out with a vengeance here in many areas. Hey, thank you, Ash. It's good to be with everyone today and provide kind of a update, update and some insights in what's going on on the northern parts of the state. Uh, rain has been sporadic, uh, a lot of hit and miss uh, showers and, and some storms. In fact, we were talking before we started recording this that hit several days ago over to the east, eastern part of our region, north central Louisiana. Uh, no major damage, but some much needed rainfall in some of those areas. There are pockets of northern northwest Louisiana that are starting to dry out pretty quickly. We've had quite a bit of rain uh, of, of uh, high temperatures and humidity. Uh, like I said, rain has been hit and miss. There's been a lot of hay that's gotten wet off and on for the last couple of weeks. Uh, I talked to one guy the other day that uh, had some hay that got wet uh, four days in a row. Um, it laid for almost a week before he was able to able to get it tedded and get it dried out and, and, and baled. But there's been a lot of hay made. Um, pastures are looking really good in, in our corner of the world. It's uh, a lot of grass out there. In fact, it's kind of atypical for this time of the year. Usually we're uh, either in the beginning or, or middle stages of a, of a pretty significant drought by this time of year. But things are looking pretty good with the exception of army worms. And I know Jason and Vince will probably echo what I'm about to say. We've just been inundated with army worms, uh, a lot of this lush green growth on these Bermuda hay fields and, and whatnot, and, and uh, people have been fighting them. Talked to a guy this morning that was on his second application within a week, or within two weeks, excuse me, um, just trying to knock them back and, and seeing several. We looked at some, uh, some uh, pearl millet plots that we have the hill farm uh, last week that actually have multiple generations of worms in them uh, that we've been battling them off and on for a month now in that. So it is a huge concern. So I just want to uh, make a real quick mention. Now, I know we talked last time about sprayer calibration. There's a lot of people getting out trying to get these worms under control. Uh, if, if you need further information on sprayer calibration, it's just absolutely cru crucial that one, that we know what we're uh, what our sprayers are putting out as far as gallons per acre and whatnot, but also that we, uh, like Vince mentioned last time we talked, that we know the pH of our uh, water that we're using, uh, that we're mixing with our spray. We, we, we got to know what our pH is because that can uh, negatively affect the, um, 
the efficacy of that product that we're putting out. Another brief reminder that I'm going to give everybody is the fact that the CFAP applications, you know, we've been talking about this coronavirus food assistance program, this uh, um, program that's going through the uh, Farm Service Agency. Uh, we've been talking about it ever since uh, uh, June, July, maybe a little bit before then. And the deadline was originally in the latter part of August, and we're being told that that deadline has been extended to September the 11th. I'd highly encourage you, if you haven't done that, just another reminder, uh, uh, please give your USDA Farm Service Agency office a call. They'll shepherd you through that process. It's not a bad process, uh, but but please take advantage of that while there is a, a, a window of opportunity too, especially since they've extended that window. Uh, the final thing I'm going to mention, actually, real, real briefly is State Fair Louisiana. There's, as with everything we've been facing since this pandemic's really got kicked off, we've seen event after event cancel and or reschedule or go to a virtual format. And uh, the State Fair has has been working to try to uh, to navigate these waters and and to figure out how to safely and effectively have a fair, have junior livestock shows that are so crucial to our 4-H and FFA youth. They, they've updated their schedule and are in works of trying to figure out how to effectively do that. Uh, State Fair has kind of put out word that they're committed to junior livestock shows, which was very refreshing to see. So I highly encourage you, especially if you've got kids, grandkids that are involved in, in youth livestock projects, they got animals validated or planning on showing them at the State Fair, please check their website, statefairoflouisiana.com, choose the livestock um, uh, category and check their schedule. They're updating schedules uh, uh, very regularly. And as soon as more information is, is comes available, they get that updated. You can also follow them on social media platforms such as Facebook, State Fair of Louisiana Livestock. They put out timely updates on that as well. So just know that there's still a lot of discussion, but they, they are committed and, and are trying to figure out a good way to do this. Ashley, that's all I have. Perfect, thank you. Vince, how are things looking in Central and South Louisiana? I know we've been visiting some on the best way to start preparing for the fall months in terms of uh, hornfly management, and we've also talked a little bit about starting to prep for winter forage options. Yeah, Ashley, absolutely. And thank you and glad to be with you all this week. Uh, uh, you know, when we talk about fall preparation and some of the things that, you know, uh, we, you know, certainly we hinge, everything hinges on the weather and uh, our, our rainfall in central and south Louisiana has been real sporadic, as, as Lee mentioned, in his part of the state. Uh, some areas too wet, some areas too dry. It just seems seems to be real difficult to get a, a happy medium. Uh, again, you know, as with Lee's producers are facing, uh, you know, some extended wet periods where it's wet, you know, they're having trouble making hay. Where it's dry, it's, it's been good for making hay. Uh, but it, it's it's we need a... A general rain across the area, I think, would uh, really alleviate some of the droughty conditions in some areas and uh, get some hay made because we still have some producers that are short on on getting hay put up. Uh, when we talk about the droughty conditions, uh, typically we, you know, you see a, a, a bigger population of horned flies when we get into the fall months. Uh, it's important that we continue our fly control programs, uh, whether that be through an IGR type mineral or you know if you, you're bringing those cattle in periodically. Uh, with a uh, pour on or a back uh, spray of some sort, 
uh, keep the back rubs charged and, and uh, be vigilant on that because uh, as these fall cabin cows get heavy bred, uh, you know, until the heat's going to subside, that's going to help give them some relief uh, going into late gestation. Um, also, we want to discuss some of the uh, options as far as fall and winter plantings of, of uh, uh, feed, you know, as we face the feeding period, the winter feeding period coming up. Uh, there's been several requests by producers uh, regarding some oat, ryegrass, and possibly some wheat mixtures. Uh, you definitely want to check with your local dealers. Make sure they have the, you know, the, the mixes that you're needing or the, the, what's going to go into your mix as far as your planting intentions because, um, you know, a lot of these uh, dealers don't have uh, an excess of inventory. Make sure you get your bookings in and get your seed ordered so you can do that when the opportunity knocks that you can get those fall and winter um, grazing areas planted up. Uh, with that being said, uh, you can check. Uh, we I think we have a link to Dr. Ed Twidwell's uh, portion of the uh, his program that he presented here a couple of weeks ago on the beef brunch. Uh, you can refer to that. You can go to lsuaccenter.com uh, to, to reference that and also through the beef brunch uh, series. Uh, that's about all I have at this point, Ashley. I appreciate the opportunity. Yes, sir. Thank you. Jason, do you mind taking a minute to discuss how producers might be able to capitalize on stockpiling some of our warm season forages that we have now as we start to make that transition that Vince was just talking about? Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Um, so we've talked on a couple of these updates about, uh, and we've been very blessed this summer in terms of uh, adequate rainfall. Uh, most everybody has been putting up uh, uh, an average to above average quality or quantity of of stored forages in terms of hay. So we're getting into the late summer months whenever uh, folks are trying to decide, do I want to keep cutting hay? Um, uh, do I want to graze it? And uh, what what are some of the options? So um, we've uh, we've talked about stockpile forages before and through a lot of uh, Ag Center activities. Um, I encourage you to reach out to us, uh, Dr. Ed Twidwell, Dr. Wink Allison, uh, any of us would be able to uh, to work with you and try to try to help you develop a plan if you do decide to do that. So what we're talking about is is you're just taking those um, those hay fields that uh, for for two things for sure that have a fence around them or you can put a hot wire around and have uh, have water available. So uh, put out about 40 to 60 units of nitrogen per acre. Uh, so a 3300 that'd be about 120. To 180 pounds per acre of a 3300, or if you've got access to broiler litter, that will be about a ton to a ton and a half an acre of some broiler litter. So, uh, this time of year, you put out some nitrogen, you encourage that growth, uh, and then uh, as uh, as we get towards that uh, those periods of frost and killing frost, uh, you can continue to graze that uh, that stockpile forage up until so up here in North Louisiana. Um, early part of December, it's going to start getting some nasty and, and wet that, the, that the, the quality of that stockpile forage is going to start declining pretty rapidly. Uh, I'm sure that uh, in South Louisiana, you may, able to, may be able to get a little bit longer uh, on, those, uh, on those stockpiles. So uh, it's just another option for you in terms of do you want to run equipment for it and cut it for hay, uh, or do you just want to go out and apply a little bit of nitrogen to it? encourage that growth and then graze it uh, as we get into those those cooler months in the fall. Um, uh, one caveat to that is and one thing that you'll I don't care what you read and what university in terms of stockpile forages 
Uh, strip grazing that is the way to go. Uh, you're not just going to be able to turn out mob graze on that. They're going to trample it down, especially as it starts getting a little bit rainy. Uh, it'll just turn into a mud hole on you. So it, it's a little bit more labor intensive. You got to be able to put up some hot wire, strip graze it, uh, uh, let cattle into it slowly. Uh, but uh, in terms of it maintaining some some good nutritional value, especially for slicing dry cows or cows still in gestation, uh, it's a good option for you uh, in terms of uh, um, just a just a good fall transition forage. All right, thank you. So Lee, Vince, and Jason have talked about different ways to maximize production in your pastures and fields. And I kind of want to swap gears just a second um, and discuss some things that you can be doing in your herd. So now's the time for many of you to be working and weaning your calves. Along those lines, it should also be the time that you're determining the pregnancy status, excuse me, of your cows. Uh, personally, I think pregnancy determination is probably one of the most underused practices in beef cattle production. So if you're not using it, I urge you to stop and think about what that open cow is costing you. So what are your costs of production you know, per cow in general? And then what's the profit loss that that cow is giving you because she did not produce a calf? And I think when you sit down and put pen to paper for that, you're going to realize that the cost it's going to take to determine pregnancy per head is going to be worth it in the long run. So different ways to, to determine pregnancy. Palpation is probably going to be the most common. Um, you can also ultrasound and blood tests are now becoming pretty common as well. You're looking at probably three to ten dollars per head for a veterinarian to come palpate. Uh, ultrasound is not as common simply because it's a little more um, cumbersome to implement, but that can be done. Usually it's done if you're talking very early pregnancy um, and it's probably going to be about seven to fifteen dollars per head for that. The blood tests, there's different commercial labs that you can send that to. Um, you can collect the blood yourself, mail it off, and you're going to have results within the next week or so. It's pretty easy to do if you do know how to draw blood on your animals. Uh, the test itself is anywhere from three to five dollars depending on the lab and the number of samples samples that you send in. Uh, and then you're going to have a little bit of input cost there on the blood tubes and on the syringes. So probably about $7 on average um, looking at that. So again, your input costs are very low compared to what that open cow is going to be costing you in the long run. I'm going to have more on pregnancy determination and uh, the next issue of pasture to market that Jason uh, puts out. But if you have any questions on the best ways to implement pregnancy determination in your herd, please reach out to me at any time and I'd be happy to help you uh, bring that into your operation. Along those lines, it's also the time to, to make your keep coal considerations, or I guess I should say more so your coal considerations for your herd. So aside from your open cows, which animals have been frequently ill? Um, who's staying in a lower body condition score compared to the rest of your herd? Is there anybody with any lameness? Um, we were working at the Dean Lee Research Facility last week, and there were some cows that literally were running very low on teeth. <laughs> they were still good in their body condition score, but they had just been very productive for a very long time and were starting to get there in age. And again, you know, in condition they were good, they might have been bred, but um, just make those notes that, hey, she's got four teeth, I need to kind of watch her. Um, any other issues that, you know, an animal might have that decrease their production value, you need to sit down and look at um, culling those animals or the possibility of culling those animals. 
So Jason's going to talk about the market reports in just a minute to kind of give you an idea of what those are are doing right now. And we don't really have a lot of time today to discuss all marketing options for your cull animals, but you can definitely reach out to one of us or to your local extension agent for um, marketing options and opportunities for your cull animals. So Jason, with that, what are the markets doing? All right, so uh, just before we get into the markets, uh, uh, actually, I'm going to take a little opportunity to discuss one more thing uh, in terms of something that we need to be looking out for in these late summer months. So uh, most everybody uh, is some point or another heard of the plant called Perilla Mint. Uh, so we start getting into these late summer months. We know that we start getting some some respiratory issues or can have the opportunity for some respiratory issues in cattle and one of those things that causes that in these late summer months is that perilla mint so perilla mint sometimes called mint weed some people call it beefsteak uh, it's a square stem plant uh, it'll grow two to four feet tall uh, the leaves are heart shaped they'll be about two five inches long two to four inches wide and they'll have a tint a little hint of purple to them um, whenever you look at them, especially if you get a little sunshine shining on them, they'll have a little purple tint to them. And they've got a very distinct odor. It's not like a not like a mint tea smell, but it is a very distinct odor to it. If you get that leaf and crumple it up in your hand, it's got a very distinct smell to it. So the reason it becomes a pretty major issue this time of year is because they're uh, getting into the seed stage. Uh, they're starting to produce seed heads. Uh, and that's where a lot of that toxin builds up at. So whenever those cattle, uh, this, uh, a lot of this heat, they're pushed up into those shade areas and they'll start nipping the tops out of that perilla mint. And uh, that's when we start seeing, uh, seeing the issues um, with that plant. So the signs of the illness develop within 24 hours. Uh, those severely poisoned uh, animals, they'll have loud open mouth breathing. You'll also hear them grunting a little bit whenever they're trying to breathe. Uh, they're just very labored in their breathing uh, because of the distended lungs. So uh, that's one of the telltale signs. So uh, very similar to what we might see in pneumonia, uh, but um, um, get your veterinarian out there quickly, identify what the cause of uh, the respiratory distress is. Uh, pneumonia can be treated um, um, and some of the, uh, some of the if, if you get behind the eight ball on, on identifying some of that perlament, uh, you can certainly have uh, uh, several deaths within a short period of time uh, if you don't keep that in check. So just check those shade areas. It can grow out into the open sun around old lots and things like that. Uh, but certainly check those shade areas. Um, uh, knock it down, bush hog it down. Um, uh, just uh, remove the cattle from those areas if you can. But uh, just keep an eye on it this time of year because it can be uh, a pretty major issue. So switching over to the markets. On the five area feeding region uh, for the week ending August the 14th, the uh, Fed steer negotiated cash sales range from 103 to 107. That's about $3 higher than a week ago. Uh, Fed cattle futures moved higher uh, with, uh, with the improvement of cash prices. Uh, October futures are currently trading at $1.10, uh, December at $1.12, and February at $1.15. So we can see that those Fed cattle are still improving in the markets. Those 500 to 600 pound steers, those calves uh, sold between 136 and 153. So that's a basically steady to about $6 higher than the previous week. 
again, I cannot stress enough to you, if you've got calves that are ready to move, uh, y'all pay attention to these markets as we get further into the uh, August and especially in the September and October. Uh, this calf market historically for us uh, kind of goes in the tank. So uh, please, if you've got those uh, those calves that need to be marketed, please be paying attention to those uh, to where they're at and uh, and take advantage of, of those uh, those decent prices right now. Seven eight hundred pound feeder steer sold between one twenty two and one thirty three. Uh, so we did lose a little ground on those feeder class of cattle, uh, about two to six dollars lower than the previous week. Uh, the feeder futures uh, responded to lower cash sales with August futures currently trading down a dollar. Uh, from $1.43 to $1.45. Uh, September and October futures are a little bit higher than August, uh, 3 to $4 higher than what they're trading in August, but still trending down uh, $0.77 to $1.05 downward. Cattle slaughter for the week totaled 640,000 head, which is about 7,000 more than a week ago, uh, but we're still down about 2% or 13,000 head from year ago levels. Uh, live weights for the week are estimated at 1364 to 1366, uh, which is about 27 pounds heavier than year ago weight. So even though our slaughter number is still not quite where it was a year ago, uh, just because of these, uh, of these heavier live weights, we're still producing an adequate amount of beef. Uh, the World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates released by USDA uh, came out on August the 12th and uh, went through there. And one of the uh, noteworthy items that I noticed was the 2021 U.S. corn outlook uh, uh, is looking for larger supplies, greater feed and residual use, increased exports, and higher ending stocks. So uh, corn pro uh, production is forecast at 15.3 billion bushels. Uh, that's a U.S. Pro uh, production forecast. That's up 278 million from our earlier July projection. Uh, the survey-based corn yield forecast, so this is the first survey-based yield forecast of the year, uh, is at uh, a record 181.8 bushels per acre. Uh, that's 3.3 uh, bushels higher than last month's trend-based projection. So last month was a trend-based projection. Uh, the numbers that we're looking at now in this report are survey-based. So I reached out to Keith Collins. Uh, one of our agronomic agents with LSU Ag Center over in Northeast Louisiana, just asking him, uh, they're, uh, uh, they're cutting some corn over in the Delta area. So I just reached out to him to see uh, what it was looking like. And, uh, and right now, y'all, these are early numbers. So, uh, but I think it's, it's worthy, uh, worthy of reporting on. Um, they're predicting that uh, the corn yields are going to be pretty much even. Uh, to maybe even some areas above year ago uh, yields. So last year, our yields were approximately 185 bushels per acre. Uh, so they're looking for uh, something even to that or maybe even a little bit better uh, this year's uh, corn crop. So statewide, the soybean crop is being reported at 86, good to excellent. Uh, visiting with Vince earlier today, uh, he was saying that uh, they are starting to pick around on a few beans and in South Louisiana. So Vince, at this time, I'm going to turn it over to you. And if you would give us a little bit of update of, on corn and beans down in your part of the state. Sure, Jason. Thank you. Uh, yeah, we, we had an opportunity earlier this week to harvest some of our core block uh, corn variety trials. And uh, we had some really, really good results from that. Um, you know, the, the comments by some of the corn growers, we don't have a whole bunch of acreage of corn here, uh, but we have some really good ground up along the river system. And uh, 
Uh, you know, last year's average was in the 185 range. Uh, this year, they, they feel like that's going to be slightly above that. So um, just riding the combine and looking at some of the yields and some of the, the weights we measured, we had some of those varieties cut well over 200 bushels. Uh, and that's in an isolated situation. So uh, not treated any differently than the crop, but uh, it, we still, we had some ideal weather for South Louisiana. Uh, we were cool through May and into June, uh, as, as a couple of the corn growers described it, who visited the Midwest pretty regularly. They said we had Midwest weather for our corn crop this year, and that was ideal, and we had the timely rain. So uh, that's looking good. Uh, we have some early soybeans that are getting picked on right now because uh, in the region we are, we're we're on the northernmost uh, belt, uh, sugarcane belt growing area for, for you know for the south south Louisiana and the southern states. So uh, we grow some early beans, some some even some group threes and early fours on sugarcane beds, so those can come off. And the sugarcane planting has actually started at this point. So uh, we'll get some better numbers on beans, but we have a tremendous looking crop out there, and that's kind of the general consensus amongst uh, talking to consultants and. Uh, people in the sales world and even you know with extension that uh, we have we have a really really good crop looking going out there thank you Vince appreciate that so uh, I hope y'all understand why we're talking about this is because corn and soybeans are very important to us on the on the livestock side in terms of commodities and feedstuffs so I think it's important for us to keep up with those markets and, and what that crop is going to look like for this year so speaking of those feedstuffs, uh, and this is what I'll close with, Ashley. So uh, some of those prices, soybean meal uh, down a dollar from a week ago at 295.10. Uh, corn gluten feed meal, that's about even at $460 a ton. Uh, dry distillers grains are up $3 at $116. Uh, cotton seed meal, even at $245. Soybean, soybean hulls are even at $95. Uh, rice bran is even at 100. Uh, whole cottonseed is down $10 at 205, and corn is up 11 cents at 332. And uh, just to make uh, some clarification, these are USDA reported numbers. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that you can't find these commodities at different prices from different vendors or different brokers. Uh, it's just easier for us to pull those reports from USDA. Uh, and, uh, and and use those reporting for just to uh, just to get us a good baseline of what those commodities are doing. Uh, so with that, Ashley, I'll turn it back over to you. All right, thank you. I want to conclude today with a few housekeeping notes and reminders. Uh, we recently posted four new videos on cattle handling and working facility layout. You can find those on our YouTube channel, uh, which is LSU Ag Center Livestock. This past Tuesday was our monthly webinar. We had Dr. Jeremy Scaglia discussing grazing nutrition. I'm still working on the edits for that webinar, but I'll have it posted to our Beef Brunch website uh, on the YouTube channel, and I'll place an audio version of it on our podcast uh, on Monday. So be, be on the lookout for that on Monday. Um, our next webinar will be with Dr. Christine Navarre on internal parasite management strategies. That will be held as a live event on Tuesday, September 8th at 10.30 a.m. More information can be found on our webpage. Um, I guess I should step back. I'm sorry, y'all. We, we record these ahead of time, so we usually record them on a Friday so we can get them out to you Monday morning. Um, so I should correct that. Dr. Scaglia's um, webinar will be out today. When I said Monday, it will be when you're hearing this today on August 17th. I apologize. 
Uh, the last thing is, again, we've been mentioning the podcast version of the series. Uh, we are currently on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, Pocket Casts, and Anchor. Um, so we have several different platforms that we are on, but we are still waiting for approval from Apple. So we're not yet on Apple Podcasts, but we do have that approval in. It just takes several weeks to be able to get that done. So we'll let you know when we have that platform as well. So with that, we hope that you have a great rest of your day and we will join you again for another news update on August 31st. Thank you.